this morning, I would invite you to Malachi chapter number 2. Malachi chapter number 2. As we walk our way through this short prophecy of Malachi, one of the key themes that becomes clear is the idea of covenant. A covenant, in its basic terms, is a formal agreement based on a relationship between two parties. And so in the case of God with His people Israel, there was already an existing relationship there because of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Based on that relationship, God entered into a formal covenant with them at Mount Sinai with Moses. And that formal covenant, that formalization of that relationship, if you will, involved uh, commands. It involved obligations on the part of both parties that God would be a faithful God, a faithful protector, a faithful guider of His people. And that also the people made obligations to God that they would be faithful and obey His Word. And so that formal uh, covenant, that binding relationship was established at Mount Sinai. And along with those obligations were attached both blessings and curses. That if the people of Israel walked in the ways of God that they would receive God's blessing. But if they disobeyed, if they fell out of the covenant, if they broke the covenant, then they could expect to receive God's chastening hand. Curses to fall on them. And the the idea of this covenant, both the covenant faithfulness of God to His people and really throughout Malachi, the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel to the covenant that they had with God, runs all the way throughout this book. And it really starts at the very beginning when, ironically, the people were questioning God's faithfulness to His part of the covenant, that He would love them. Malachi 1 begins with the question of the people doubting whether or not God still loved them, whether or not God was still faithful to them. And Malachi has to remind them that Of course God is faithful. God has chosen you. He's chosen Jacob over Esau. He has chosen you in eternity past. He could never be unfaithful to you. He loves you. And then as you move through Malachi, it becomes even more ironic that the people would doubt this because God was not the one who was being unfaithful. They were. And so they're questioning God's love for them. Malachi says, of course God loves you. But then the question is, do you love God? And are you being faithful to God, faithful to your covenant? And so we saw in chapter 1, beginning of verse 6, and really running through about the middle of chapter 2, that Malachi charges the religious leaders, he charges the priests, in particular for being unfaithful to their covenant with God. And that unfaithfulness showed itself in many ways. It showed itself in worthless worship. That both the people and the priests were bringing to God sacrifices that were completely unworthy of the glory and the majesty of God. God is worthy of the very best that we can bring, and they were bringing maimed and lame and blind sacrifices to offer on the altar to God, and it was, it was in contempt of God. It profaned God's holiness, His majesty. 
And then Malachi also charged the priests in the beginning of chapter 2 with a failure to, to preach the word. Uh, the priests were especially called to be ministers of the word and also to be examples indeed to the people. And Malachi said, you've, you've broken the covenant because you're not staying faithful to the word. You're not teaching the people the word and you're breaking it yourself. And so they were unfaithful to the covenant with God. In our passage that we're going to focus on this morning, in verses 10 through 16, we see another manifestation of the unfaithfulness of the people to their covenant God. And in these verses, their unfaithfulness to the covenant with God manifested itself in their unfaithfulness to one another. And that's maybe one of the key lessons from this passage in Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16, is that when we are unfaithful to God, we will also inevitably become unfaithful to each other. And so they were covenant breakers with God, and so they became covenant breakers with one another. And the way that showed itself in the ancient community of Israel in Malachi's day was in the matter of divorce. They were breaking their covenants with God, and as a result of their disobedience, another manifestation of that was they were breaking their covenants with one another, particularly their marriage covenants. And they were guilty of unfaithfulness to their spouses and divorcing them. And Malachi calls them to task on it. He reminds them that they have a responsibility to be faithful to one another, faithful to their commitments to one another as a way of showing their faithfulness to God. And so Malachi says to them in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, May the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Let's bow in prayer together.
Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to humble ourselves before your word. Lord, in this passage of Scripture that we are reading and focusing on this morning, we need your help to teach us, to remind us that we need to put all of life in submission to you, to your authority. We need to be reminded that our lives need to be governed not by the world, not by the current practices of the age, but our lives need to be governed by the truths and the commands of your holy word. Father, teach us today as your people to be faithful as you are faithful. May we honor our commitments and be faithful to them as you are faithful to us. So, Lord, teach us today from this passage, and may your Spirit take these words and apply them to our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Where we need to begin in this passage is with God. We need to begin with God because God is the source of all truth, isn't He? He's the source of all love. God is the source of all truth. He is the source and model of all faithfulness. And so we need to begin with God. And that's where Malachi begins in verse number 10. He says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? And so Malachi begins with the faithful God. A faithful, merciful, covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. When he says in verse 10, do we not all have one father? And did not one God create us? our initial thought would probably be to go back to Genesis 1 and think of this in a creation of the world type sense in which God is the father of everyone and God is the creator of everyone. And there's, I think there's a natural instinct to want to do that in verse 10. But I think there's good reason for us to limit the idea here of God's fathership and of his creation to the nation of Israel specifically as a covenant people. In other words, when he says, do we not all have one father? He's referring to Israel as God's covenant people. God is our father. And when he says, did not one God create us? He is not referring to creation of all humankind in Genesis 1. He is referring to the way that God created Israel as a unique covenant people from all the nations of the earth. And this is not the only place where we see creator-type language uh, talked talked about when God is uh, referred to as the one who called Israel, as the one who made a covenant with Israel. It's very common in the Old Testament scriptures to talk about God in this sense as the creator of Israel. He is a a loving, covenant-making God. And you see that emphasis in verse number 10 when he then asks the question, Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? And so I think the idea of God being father and the idea of God being creator is specifically related to his covenant with his people. Because that's the basis on which Malachi will then argue. So God is a God who has made covenants with us. God is a God who has made promises to us. 
He is our Father. He is our Creator. He brought us into existence as His people. As the people that He shows grace to and shows love to and enters into faithful agreements with. And it's on that basis then that Malachi can ask the question, so then why are we profaning the covenant of our ancestors, the covenant that God made with our ancestors when we are unfaithful to one another? So God is faithful to us and because God is faithful to us, we should be faithful to Him. So that's kind of the the basic initial principle of this passage. God is faithful to us and therefore we should be faithful to Him. But then that leads to another implication. And that is when we are unfaithful to God, we become unfaithful to one another. When we are unfaithful to God, we become unfaithful to one another. So he says in verse 10 that the people of Israel were profaning the covenant, their covenant with God, by being unfaithful to one another. Here's the thing that we need to remember as God's people that our relationship with God is inseparably bound up with our relationship with other people. You can't separate them. John teaches us this in 1 John when he says, how can a man say he loves God, but he hates his brother or sister? Can the love of God really dwell in that person? So John combines love of God and love of our brother and sister in Christ. And and you can't separate those two. What about the Lord Jesus when he was asked, what's the greatest command? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There's a sense in which Jesus could have stopped right there in the answer of that question, couldn't he? Because he was just asked, what's the greatest one? What's the greatest commandment? He quotes Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he didn't stop there. He said, and the second is like unto it. Maybe another way of understanding that is patterned after it, joined to it, inseparably connected with it. And that is love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor and your, uh, as yourself. And on these two, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. And so Malachi is showing the people that when you break your covenant with God, you're inevitably going to break your covenants with people and vice versa. If you break a covenant with a person, you're also breaking your covenant with God. They're bound up together. And so faithlessness to God results in faithlessness toward one another. And in particular, the people of Malachi's day we're guilty of being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to each other in a couple of key areas. One is in the area of intermarriage with people who worship foreign gods. So in verses 11 and 12, that is the focus. In verses 11 and 12, Malachi says, Judah has been unfaithful. And by Judah, he's referring to the people. And not necessarily everyone But there is an epidemic, you might say, among the people that they're being unfaithful. A detestable thing. 
a thing that is an abomination in the sight of God, a thing that is offensive to a holy God, has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Men who marry women who worship a foreign God. Now, this is not the first time that God's leaders, God's prophets, have had to deal with this issue in Israel's history. You can go all the way back to the beginning, and you can see in early on, even in the book of Numbers, where the people of God were constantly tempted by... Uh, engaging in sexual relations or engaging in marriage with foreign women. And that was not necessarily the main problem. The main problem was that that intermarriage or interrelationship with foreign women caused them to fall into idolatry and the worship of false gods. And so Moses had to deal with it in numbers. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, was guilty of falling into this trap. God specifically said to the kings of Israel, don't marry many wives because when you marry many wives and engage in marrying all these foreign women, you're going to be, your heart is going to be led astray from God to worship false gods. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. And this is even, not even the first time in recent history that Israel, that the leaders of God's people have had to deal with this. In both Ezra and Nehemiah, we see this same issue pop up. And so even in their recent history, Ezra and Nehemiah, after the exile, they've had to deal with this problem. Intermarriage with foreign women. Now, let's define exactly what we mean by that. Is the problem racial or ethnic? That's not the problem. The problem is spiritual. Let's be clear on that. The problem is not racial or ethnic. The problem is spiritual. Because we have many examples in Scripture where those who are of a different people come into the people of God and are brought in and fully welcomed as the people of God. We could give examples like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, right? So Ruth was from Moab. Generally speaking, it would not be right because the Moabites worshipped false gods. But here's what Ruth said to Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Ruth was brought in spiritually into the people of God. She became a worshiper of the one true God. She married Boaz, and Boaz and Ruth became one of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. You also have Rahab, who was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute, a Canaanite, but she was brought in to the people of God and by all accounts became a worshiper of the one true God. She also is in the line of Jesus. And so the issue is not racial or ethnic. The issue is spiritual. And that is, these are women who are worshiping false gods, actively worshiping false gods, and therefore bringing false worship into the community of God, into the families of God, and perverting the worship of the one true God. And Malachi goes so far as to say that by marrying these foreign women who, have, who worship foreign gods, you're profaning, you're desecrating the sanctuary of God, the temple of God. And so in verse 13 he says, anything that you do, 
you flood the Lord's altar with tears. And then in verse 12, he says, even though you bring an offering to the Lord Almighty. So they could bring offerings and sacrifices, but if they're engaging in that which is dishonoring to the Lord, their sacrifices mean nothing. They're they're empty sacrifices. So intermarriage with foreign women who worship foreign gods was wrong, and it was a violation of the covenant. What's the application for today? The application for today is not interracial marriage. The application for today is interfaith marriage. And so that Paul can say, do not be unequally yoked in 1 Corinthians. What does that mean? It means that the number one qualification for a potential spouse is that they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all hear that? All right. A lot of the young people are here close to the front. Number one, qualification. I don't care how handsome they are, how pretty they are, how talented they are, how, how much they like all the same hobbies, all the same interests, all the same movies, all the same music that you like. If they're not a child of God, cross them off the list. Because they will take your heart away from the Lord. They will draw you the wrong direction. So one problem was marrying those who would draw their hearts away from God. But there was another problem too, and that is with divorce. And one way of understanding this, and this seems to be the case in Ezra and Nehemiah as well, as we're kind of informed from those two books, is that what might have been happening is they were divorcing their Jewish wives to intermarry with foreign women who worship foreign gods. So their breaking of covenant, their faithlessness was compounded. They were divorcing, they were breaking their relationship, their partnership with their spouse of their youth, he calls it. And then they were intermarrying with foreign women who worship foreign gods. And so they were guilty of faithless divorce. And I know, I acknowledge Divorce is a touchy subject. And that's why a lot of pastors don't preach on it. It's one of the benefits of preaching through a book of the Bible is you just gotta you gotta read and you gotta explain what's there. And so Malachi touches on divorce, and so I've gotta touch on it. And what Malachi says in this passage is that dishonoring our marriage covenant being faithless to that agreement is a sign of being faithless to God. God values marriage. It's a very short statement, but it's packed with incredible implications, isn't it? God values marriage. He values it highly. God created marriage, didn't he? If you've ever been to a wedding and a preacher says anything about the institution of marriage from the Bible, he's going to say God created marriage. Genesis chapter 2, God took Adam and he took Eve and he brought them together and he made them one flesh. He made them one. And Jesus says on the basis of that passage, going back to Genesis chapter 2, Jesus says what God has joined together 
Let it not be put asunder. Let no man separate. So the pattern, the ideal pattern of God is this. One man, masculine. One woman, feminine. Not what you think you are, but how God made you and how you're born, right? One, I got to say that in 2019. One man, one woman, the way God made you, different genders, joined together as one union, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, for as long as you live. It is a lifetime covenant. That is God's ideal. Anything that breaks that, other than death, sin is involved somehow. Sin is involved somehow. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that both parties are equally guilty of sin in the breaking of that union. But sin is involved somehow whenever that pattern is broken. One man, one wife, for a lifetime. That's God's pattern. And one of the reasons why that is God's pattern is given in verse 15. He says, Has not the one God made you? You belong to Him in body and spirit. That's a good reminder, isn't it? You belong to God. What's the number one reason people get divorced today? It's probably because I'm just not happy. Right? Personal happiness has become our God in this culture. God owns us. He owns our bodies. He owns our spirits. We belong to Him. We're not ourselves. Paul says that in Corinthians as well. We've been bought with a price. Our body and our spirit belong to God. And what does the one God seek? A godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. One of, not the only, but one of the core reasons for marriage is for the bringing up of a family. For a man and a woman to come together as lifetime partners to bear children and to bring those children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I recognize that that pattern doesn't always happen. Sometimes couples are not able to have children in the will of God. I understand that. But one of the core reasons why God created marriage, not only for partnership and companionship, but also for the raising of a godly seed, as Malachi puts it. That there would be sons and daughters born to that union who would be taught the ways of the Lord and that the faith would be passed on from one generation to the next. I know that we're past 11.30. But I want to say this. One of the reasons why our churches are dying is because this isn't happening. You can look across the landscape of American, of America, of really Western culture, Europe, United States, Canada, across Western culture, and one of the, the symptoms that you will see is churches full of elderly people, lots of white hair or no hair, 
right? Lots of elderly people, but not very many of the generations after that. It's a pervasive problem. Now, there are many reasons for that. Reasons that go beyond even what Malachi is saying here. There are some cultural, societal factors at work in that. There is a great trend toward urbanization in our world. Where 100 years ago, the vast majority of people lived in small towns, rural areas, farm areas. Just in the last couple of years, the world has crossed a threshold where where now more than 50% of the people in the world live in cities. So there are trends that are, there are forces out there that that we're working against. And so it's not uncommon for someone from Winfield, Alabama to be brought up in a godly home, but then they go to college and they end up living in Birmingham or Huntsville, or Mobile, or Nashville, or Atlanta. That's, that's the cultural trend of our world, not even America, across the world. And so I understand that. But we need to see the next generation and the generation after that being brought up in our churches. That's one of the, the God-designed ways for the church to continue. Yes, we're to be out there reaching the world and, lead, and reaching the lost, but you know where the, the most important mission field is? Is in your house. That is the most important mission field and the one that God has called you to first. In your house. The greatest responsibility that we have to love our neighbor and to share the gospel is with those who are closest to us. And no one is closer to us than our own family. And so we need, as a church, Eastside Baptist Church needs the faith to be passed on from one generation to the next. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a call here. Y'all go on record. Y'all put me down. It'll be on recording. I need, we need as a church, some of you to go to college and come back to Eastside Baptist Church and raise a family here. We need that. I understand there's some careers, some jobs that you're not going to be able to do in Winfield. Not all of you are going to be able to do that, but I hope some of you will. We need that for this church to go on to the next generation and the next generation after that and the generation after that. Yes, we need to be reaching our lost neighbors, our lost people in our community, but we also need to be reaching our own families. And so God designed marriage. He designed the family for this. And the church is built off of godly families. God desires a godly offspring. So that leads to the last point of the message, and that is we need to be on guard. So Malachi says, be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful. At the end of verse 15, he says, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. We need to protect with the kind of zeal and the kind of awareness that we would protect our house from an enemy, from an intruder, from an armed robber, we need to protect our families spiritually from the enemy. We need to protect our marriages from the enemy, 
because the weapons of the enemy are out there and they're everywhere. When you go out into the world today, you are literally walking in a spiritual minefield with regard to your own soul, the life of your marriage, and your family. It is a minefield. It's everywhere. Television, internet, newspapers, billboards, every, everywhere. This world is designed and it is focused on destroying what the Bible says the family ought to be. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's in your face. But those landmines are all around you. Be on your guard to protect your soul, protect your marriage, protect your family, so that God will be honored and blessed with a godly offspring. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, our God, we call on you today for your help, for your grace. We are a sinful people. Our hearts are prone to wander. We live in a culture that is actively working against us. So both inside our own hearts and outside, we have these external temptations, both of which are seeking to drive us away from you, Father, and we need your grace. There are times when we're going to fail and we need your forgiveness. We're so thankful, Lord, that we have forgiveness in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we need your grace to stay faithful, to be on guard, to protect our marriages, to be faithful to the covenants that we make. God, as your people that you have redeemed and have entered into a covenant with through the Lord Jesus Christ, we desire to be faithful to you. And we desire to be faithful to one another. So Lord, may you help us to do that so that that would glorify and honor you and the world might see that and be drawn to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.